0: Hey, everyone. I wanted to welcome you to Encounter Church. I'm Pastor Craig Rice. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. To be here, Pastor Craig was kind enough to ask me to come speak this morning. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think we work for the same guy because God definitely downloaded something. Actually, it was several years ago, but, um, you know, God just adds line upon line upon line upon line to... What he pours into us through his Spirit, and um, so that's what I'm going to share a part of today. So I, I really appreciate those kind words. That was uh, that was nice. Thank you. All right, let me get logged into my technology here. Everything is everything is different compared to how it used to be 15, 20 years ago. Notice I don't have anything up here that is paper. Um. So a, a little bit, a little bit about uh, myself before I get started here. Um, uh, Pastor Jesse was really kind, but um, we uh, we moved over here from a little town called Deer Lodge, Montana, about well, actually almost five years ago now. Five years this October, um, we were we were part of uh, Tom and Sherry's church over there, who were who were two of the most incredible people I've have ever had the privilege to know and sit under. <laughs> And Tom's thinking right now, Dan, why did you do that? But, um, no, they, they really are. And for anybody that knows them, you know that what I'm saying is absolutely true. Um, I, I, you know, I, it's not just that I'm married to their daughter that I have to say that. I would say that anyway, I promise. Um, Becky's my wife and we have four amazing kids. Um, life, life is, life is good. Even, even when there's difficulties and challenges and all those things, life is really, really good. And, uh, you know, I've had the privilege, Tom and Sherry have both poured into my life for several years, and I get, I get to be here today because of that. So anyway, a little bit about us. Um, there you go. I, uh, I always like to start with a, with a little bit of useless trivia, is that okay? Okay. Mostly it's for me so that I can get all the, uh, all the rust off a little bit. But I don't know, I also like useless facts. Part part of the reason for that, my wife thinks I'm really smart sometimes. (laughs) I'm really not, I just memorize useless trivia. (laughs) So here's some of that. All right, maybe you knew some of this, I didn't. Rubber bands last longer when they're refrigerated. So if you have a rubber band collection (laughs) and you need to make it last, there you go. That is useless, right? The, the real name of uh, the Monopoly guy, Uncle, Uncle Pennybags, I guess people call him, his real name is Milburn Pennybags, in case you're, case you're ev- you know, you never know. Who wants to be a millionaire? That could be a question. Is not even a show anymore? I don't know. All right, maybe it is. Who knows? This, this is a good one. This next one's a really good one. Um, women blink nearly twice as much as men. And I have a theory. I have a theory. I think it's because men say so many useless things, like useless trivia, that women are constantly trying to process. (laughs) Tell me I'm wrong. All right, here's one I did not know. I gotta make sure I pronounce this right. I think it's paganophobia. Paganophobia, anybody heard of that? It's the fear of beards. It's the fear of beards. (laughs) I don't think anybody with that condition would probably do very well in North Idaho, just saying. But it just so happens that's why I don't grow a beard. I don't want to scare people away. Obviously, it worked. All right, uh, Oreo has made enough cookies to spend, span five back-and-forth trips to the moon. So if you like Oreos, there you go. Um, in 10 minutes, a hurricane releases more energy than all the world's nuclear weapons combined. Sloths can hold their breath for longer than dolphins. I don't know. I don't know why that's cool. It's probably because they look dead. Anyway, a giraffe can go longer without water than a camel. And this is my personal favorite. On average, 100 people choke to death on ballpoint pens every year. It's not my favorite because people choke to death. (laughs) Better clarify that. No, it's just because it's, just it's weird. All right. All right. Now that everybody's like, who is this guy? Um, so a, a brief disclaimer, anytime I speak in public, I'm usually talking to a room full of railroaders that are like 99.9% men. So um, I had to remind myself I'm not doing that today. Hence the, hence the, hence the jokes. Because usually I try to be funny in a group full of men, and they just call me out. And then I'm standing up there, you know, broken and humiliated. <laughs> just kidding. All right. I, be- I better start talking about something that's actually useful here. Um, so, as as I alluded to a second ago, this um, th- this this topic that we're going to discuss today was something that was actually downloaded in my spirit several years ago actually during a a worship service worship was beautiful today would everybody agree um you know a a lot of times in worship god just downloads something in seconds right that a, a truth a transformational truth that'll change your life change your outlook change your perspective and that's what happened to me this was several years ago but god has built on it for me since then um multiple layers, and, and hopefully I can convey that to, to you guys today in, in a way that makes sense and in a way that um, helps you like it, like it helped me. So um, today we're going to talk, we're going to look at uh, this from the perspective of three people, the prophet Isaiah, um, the paralytic from Mark chapter 2, and Peter. Peter. And we're going to talk about, um, I, I use the, the title, Grace for the Mission, because we, we all have a mission, we all have a purpose, we all have deposits from heaven that God's implanted inside of each one of us. It doesn't matter if you're Pastor Craig, Pastor Jesse, or anybody else in ministry. If, if, you're, a, if you're a Christian that has the Spirit of God living inside of you, God has deposited pieces of heaven inside of you for a mission, okay? And, and so, Grace... Um, we, we get the word grace um, from the Greek word charis. It's the, it's the word we get, the English word charismatic, somebody that's gifted, okay? The grace that God gives us is just simply that. It's a gift. It's a gift deposited in each side of us. It's a, it's a gift that empowers us to do the mission. It's a gift that is transformational and changes our lives. And when we bump into the spirit of God, we are changed. It's just that simple. And um, this next slide, I actually, it's just a note I took, but it's, I don't know, it kind of helps drive the point home, and it just simply says this, Um, God's desire is to see his will manifested on earth as it is in heaven. We are the conduits by which he does that. Okay, Jesus prayed when the disciples said, teach us to pray. He said, pray like this, and he taught them, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's desire to bring that world to this world until this world looks like that world. That's a Bill Johnson saying, but it, it is—it's it, incredibly, incredibly profound. God's desire is to shape this planet and this reality, and further the kingdom of heaven. Wow. See, but there's a problem, right? Because we have an enemy. We have a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Um, we were all born and raised in this planet where we have experiences, trauma, uh, pain, things that um, the enemy can use to distract us, to deceive us, to choke out those gifts and those treasures and those talents that God places inside of each one of us. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we go through life and we don't even realize, we don't even realize they're there. Um, the, the enemy's desire, if, if God's desire is to see his will done on earth... It's the enemy's desire to fight that in every possible way he can. We are the agents that further the kingdom of God. And so the enemy's two biggest weapons, and this is actually something Tom taught me years ago, are deception and distraction. Everything that the evil one does is through those two avenues, deception and distraction. And so a lot of times in our own personal lives, knowing that God has deposited in each one of us little gifts little gracelets from heaven he tries to bind us up with deception and distraction so that we never fulfill the god-given purpose that each one of us were born with when we live in that brokenness A lot of times, I I alluded this just a second ago, but a lot of times we don't even realize that we're living in that brokenness. Um, You you think of someone, and maybe it's you, I mean there's, there's areas in my life, certainly in the past, where I could think of a profound brokenness. People that live in that reality always live beneath their privilege. They will live their entire lives living beneath their privilege. And, that, and that's just with normal life stuff, not to mention the things that God wants to do in you and through you. So if you can't ever get past those marks where um, God wants to do something in your life, in somebody else's life through you, because you are so bound up on the inside, how are, how are we ever going to be those conduits to reveal the kingdom of heaven? All right, so this is, this is what we're going to talk about. That was supposed to be a little brief synopsis, but Um, Here we go. We're going to talk about how he undoes those things. A lot of times we encounter God. One brief word, one sentence, one download in worship, um, a a word from a a pastor or or even somebody on the street can instantaneously change your life. And that's a lot of times how God does these things. So we're going to look at those three things today, and that's what we're going to talk about. A lot of times God will wreck our lives with one word and we will never be the same. We're going to start with, with Isaiah. Um, I, I, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later, but when, when I got this initially downloaded, like I said, we were standing there worshiping, and all of a sudden I saw this story from Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah is in the throne room, and God was just highlighting some of the events in that scenario for me. So I'm going to talk about that today and, and hopefully go through that for you. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. We'll start with verse 1, and you can follow along or it will be on the screen. Um, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew." And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. The New King James Version says, I am undone, which is kind of interesting to me, but I'll talk more about that in a second. Um, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. We'll read the last verse here in a second, but picture this for a second so you've got you've got the prophet isaiah and and he's caught up into the throne room now now think of this for a second from a hebrew's perspective think think back to the the scenario where moses was given the law on the mountain they couldn't even touch the mountain it was so holy if animals touched it they had to be killed with rocks or spears they could not touch it Um, moses says, show me your glory. And God says, no one can see my face and live. I'll hide you in the mountain. And as I pass by, you can basically, you can see my back, but no man can see my face and live. So this is the kind of understanding that Isaiah has as he's caught up into the throne room. He's got that entrenched in him. Um, I don't, I don't know much about the history of Isaiah until this and maybe some bible scholars in the room do but i'm not one of them but i would wager a guess that isaiah's life was probably maybe somewhat too similar to like the prophet samuel in in regard to the fact that he was around the law his entire life he was around the the workings of the temple his entire life he knew the consequence for seeing the face of god he also knew that god was holy and that we were not and so you have this prophet that's caught up into the throne room, and he sees this scenario, the angels, the Most High, and they're shouting back and forth to each other so passionately that it's actually shaking the foundation of the heavenly temple that they're inside of, and it's filled with smoke. Think about that for a minute. Now, now we're believers, and, and we believe that not only are we restored to God, but that his spirit dwells in us, Right? Isaiah did not necessarily have that same understanding. That Jesus had not been crucified. There had been no death on the cross to atone for our sins. They approached God very carefully and very fearfully. And so here he is in the throne room seeing this happen. And he says, woe is me. I'm I'm done. I love this God God instantly flips the script instantly verse 8 says I hear the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us I I love it I don't you love it when God asks a loaded question like he already knows the answer he already knows what's going on but he asks a question anyway it's just like yeah and so Isaiah says here am I send me Oftentimes, after, after we've encountered God like that, and he downloads something like that, he almost always asks a question. And it's, it, again, it's not for his sake. It's to, it's to help us understand what the next steps are, what the next little piece is, um, so that we can chase God and chase the truth and, and flesh it out, if you will, the, the, the spiritual truth that he's just downloaded inside of us. And that's what's going on in this encounter with isaiah um another another interesting point point here is that um now let me clarify something i'm not saying by any means that i believe that isaiah was like this profoundly broken person i'm not i'm not saying that at all what i am saying um even for a prophet of god who was around the law his entire life who ministered to the lord who is prophet to the nation of israel he grew up understanding that he was unclean god was holy He was sinful. God was not. So through that understanding and through that mindset, there were things built up in the life of Isaiah, his entire life that would not allow him to see certain truths, certain things the way God wanted him to see them. And in one encounter in the throne room of heaven, all of that changed instantly. Isaiah went from woe is me, or excuse me, rather, um, woe to those who call good evil and evil good and woe to those who call darkness light and light darkness to woe is me instant perspective change. Isaiah went to being, um, if, you, if you read the, the book of Isaiah, prior to that encounter, and, and some after because, of, of again, of course, Israel did not necessarily have the greatest track record of faithfulness, so as Isaiah is the prophet of God to the nation, prior to that encounter, a lot of this was judgment and and this is going to happen, and consequence, and this, and this. And all of a sudden, Isaiah is known as the Messianic prophet. He's the prophet that is quoted the most times in the New Testament referring to the coming Messiah that would atone for our sins. So, I mean, think about that. You've got him in the throne room, and all of a sudden the angel flies over to him with a hot coal off of the altar of God and touches it to his mouth and says, your sins are atoned for. Prior to that, I would say that Isaiah had a partial, a shadow of an understanding of what that kind of atonement even meant. And all of a sudden, this download and this change in perspective, because God had spoken to him briefly in an encounter, completely changed his life, completely changed his perspective, and now all of a sudden, you've got the prophet of God that um, is referring to the coming Messiah. Messiah. Isaiah 53, when he says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. One other thing I want to point out here is that sometimes, uh, sometimes God uses the pain and discomfort in our life to get us to a new place. Um, king Uzziah, if I'm saying that right, hopefully I am, and Isaiah were most likely first cousins. So when the king died, I, I would imagine, because Israel did not have the greatest track record of being faithful, that all sorts of things were going on in Isaiah's mind. Okay, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen with the new king? What, what next? Is my life in danger? All, all sorts of those kinds of things. So, so now, so now Isaiah is wondering all of this, and he's caught up into the throne room of God to have this encounter. Yeah. It's very interesting to me. Um, so, to go into a little bit further detail about when this was initially downloaded in worship um there there we were at a conference worshiping and you know how you know how when God's trying to convey a truth to you and all of a sudden it's like your thoughts kind of wander onto something that you weren't really thinking about before heavenly perspective wise well that's kind of what happened Um, we're just worshiping enjoying the presence of God and all of a sudden this was this was dropped and the story from the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. And there had been something that I was also dealing with that related to this subject. And it was like God spoke to me in an instant. Read that chapter. So I sat down and read it. I I looked at the notes for Mark chapter 2. And it was like God was highlighting to me this very truth, this very principle. That in a moment, regardless of our pain, regardless of our experience, regardless of our failings, regardless of our understanding of who he is. He unravels all that in one moment, in one moment of grace. In one moment of grace, he sets us on the path for the mission. He changes our lives. He changes our perspective. And he allows us to further his kingdom, not just in ourselves, but for everybody around us as well. Because of the encounter that Isaiah had Some of the most profound prophecies about the coming Messiah. Messiah, I don't know why I keep saying it with a Z. Messiah, were we're delivered so that we we could see our Christ, our coming King. All right, let's talk about the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. I love these stories where Jesus does something to purposely offend the religious people. Love it. All right, in Mark chapter 2, and when he had returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'll finish that in a, sec- in a second here, but think about this for a minute. They're so desperate to get close to Jesus that they actually climb on top of the roof, and they start tearing off the tiles of this house so that they can lower the bed down just so that Jesus will catch a glimpse of this so much so that Jesus is impressed by their faith it says when he saw their faith the faith of his friends that that it moved him to to he he was already preaching the word to the crowd it moved him to all of a sudden change perspective to address what was going on with this man right And so the desperation of these guys must have been pretty intense to go up there and and tear off the roof to lower this guy down okay so think about this for a second he says son your sins are forgiven again this is another scenario where every one of these people had been raised in a culture where the forgiveness of sin was not something you could attain now it could be atoned for by the death of animals but it was not something that was atoned for, forgiven, gone. And so not only was he, in their minds, being blasphemous by what he was saying, but it was a completely different mind shift compared to what they were used to. The forgiveness of sins in that way was not a thing. And the fact that that's the first thing that Jesus says when they're seeking the man's healing is really profound when you think about it. And here it is. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there in verse 6, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytics, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? You see the parallel here between the story of Isaiah and the story of this man. Isaiah sees Yahweh, the Most High God, sitting on his throne, surrounded by angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So much so that he's afraid he's going to die. An angel flies over to him, touches his mouth with a hot coal, and says, Your sins are forgiven. This paralytic and his friends lower this man down into this home where they're at. And Jesus, God incarnate, the son of the living God, is sitting there in a group full of people much like you and I right now and says, son, your sins are forgiven. So much so, this paralytic man could hear them. It completely changed his life. And the very next sentence out of Jesus' mouth after he says to the Pharisees, what's easier, to forgive sins or to heal somebody? He says, son, take up your bed and walk. So I would submit to you that the power and... The, and, and the brokenness that sin and, the, and the, the experiences of your life that have held you bound, that have held you down, that have held you broken, that he breaks every one of them by just one sentence, by just one droplet of grace that's deposited in each one of us. But you, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Boy, can you say that again. See, the approach to this from the heavenly perspective was very similar. On on one side of the coin, you have Isaiah Old Testament, sins have not been atoned for yet. On this side of the coin, Jesus is fulfilling his earthly ministry, heading to the cross so that these people can experience the forgiveness and the removal of the power of sin over their lives. He literally looks at this man whose body was broken and paralyzed and says, son, your sins are forgiven to, to show... The the power of the brokenness and the deception over our lives in a physical way, Jesus not only forgives this man's sins, but heals him to show that spiritually, this is the same condition that you and I are in. And he says those things to display this in front of everyone so that their lives could be changed now there's no record of this of this man going and casting out demons or 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 doing any miracles but every person in that room saw the kingdom of god displayed that day so not only was the kingdom of god deposited in this man in his friends the disciples but everybody in that room including the pharisees and one one interesting thing about uh the the culture of that time also very religious you see when the kingdom of Israel was broken up and scattered and destroyed and it was brought back under Roman governance. They never went back to the idols of old, ever. But they created a new one with their religiosity. And so that religiosity was the very thing that Jesus called out constantly in the face of the Pharisees. It's, it's what he was doing here. And I would... I would I would submit to you that as this paralytic man is being lowered down on this bed, thinking to himself that, it, that he's heard all the stories of what this man has done, that he's a prophet, a teacher, and if there's any hope for him to be healed, it's right here and it's right now. But that he knew being lowered down on that bed that he was a sinful, broken man, just like the same thought that Isaiah had when he was caught up into the throne room. And in one moment, God speaks into his life to break the power of that lie over him, restoring him on the inside first so that then on the outside there could be a manifestation of the kingdom of God. to take this one step further, you guys remember the story of, um, was the blind man when, they, when the disciples asked, asked Jesus who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Um, to, to take this principle one step further, you, you think about that story in and of itself. It's about the kingdom of God being displayed. It's the same, it's a different story, but it's the same principle. Jesus said, neither, neither this man was brought to me so that I could heal him so that the kingdom of God could be displayed. Now, of course, I'm paraphrasing. That's, that's my, uh, could I say the, the, the Dan Mavernack version? I don't know. I better not go there. Sounds dangerous. But the entire, the entire purpose of the kingdom of God is to undo the works of the devil. Going back to Isaiah in 61.1, Jesus, Jesus later quotes this in Luke. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You see, God drops that grace inside of each one of us to put us back on the road for the mission. One word, one moment, one set of freedom, and our lives are completely changed. But it's not just our lives that are changed. It's the lives that those around us. The kingdom of God, which is why Jesus used these principles in a lot of his parables, the kingdom of God is, is like leaven, like a mustard seed. It's planted, it spreads, it grows, and it furthers. It cannot be stopped. I have a story that um, actually happened to, to me and Brennan when he was about... Uh, eight years old, maybe seven. I don't even know if he remembers this or not. But we were in the Missoula Mall. I told you all earlier we were from Montana. This was before we moved over. And Missoula is the next big town going that way from here, basically, if you're on Interstate 90. I always have to explain it that way because nobody ever knows where anything in Montana is, which is fair. (laughs) So we are Christmas shopping, I think. And you ever, you ever have one of those experiences where God, you, you feel like God might be setting you up ahead of time, but you're not really sure why? So we walk in there, and I'm just like, I could feel him just kind of like tap me on the shoulder, I guess, for lack of a better, better way of saying it. And so I hate shopping, by the way. I absolutely hate it. It gives me a headache, and I just, <laughs> so my, my part of shopping is to go hang out on the, on the bench in the mall, if that's where we happen to be. And like play on my phone, people watch, pretend to sleep. I don't know. You name it. Anything but shopping. I would rather do push-ups than go shopping, okay? I'm just saying. So, so Brennan's with me, and it's, it's winter time. so it's, it's getting a little later, but it's already dark, so the lighting in the mall is somewhat dim. And I, I made this guy from 100 yards away. Here he comes, and he is so drunk he can barely walk. And he's stumbling over, and he's stumbling over, and he gets closer, and I'm like, yep, I know it. This is the guy. And I, maybe, maybe it's because I'm so nice, like you said. Drunk people just like to talk to me. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just reality. So he's, he's very, very hammered. And, uh, and I'm thinking about my boy like, stay here protection. That's, that's where my mind goes immediately because I don't know what this dude's thing is, where he's going, what he's doing, but I can tell he's very inebriated. So he comes down and he walks by about three or four times and he just stares at us the whole time and I'm like, am I going to have to just tackle this guy? Like, what is going on? All sorts of bad things in my head. Well, finally he walks up and he goes, can I sit with you? And I, and I felt like I was supposed to say, yes, please. And I sc- scooted over and I'm like, God, what are you doing here? You know, like, <laughs> at least nobody's ripping the roof off of my house, so I guess that's a plus. <laughs> so this guy sits down, and he's like, is that your son? I'm like, yeah, that's my son, and we just start talking, and all of a sudden, I feel like I'm supposed to just tell this guy, which again, one of those things where you feel embarrassed, a little nervous, like, whatever, but one thing that tom always taught me is what harm is it going to do to just whisper a truth like that into somebody's life because either it's going to land and they're going to be changed or it's not going to land and you said something really nice really i mean what what harm is that going to do so i look at this guy and i go i don't know if this will make sense to you but i feel like i'm supposed to tell you that god sees you he loves you and he has a plan for your life still and this homeless smelly drunk man starts weeping uncontrollably sitting on this mall bench. And I'm like... <laughs> and it's getting worse. Like, he's, he's sobbing uncontrollably. And not to be too earthy here, but I'm talking like drool and snot are pouring down this man's face. <laughs> it's bad. And Brennan's like, what is going on here? And so, so I, just, I just look at him and I go, can I pray for you? he goes yes please please so i so i pray for him and i just pray that god would reveal his love and his truth and his mercy to him and he starts weeping harder and harder and harder and i'm just like holy smokes this is crazy so much so that the mall security is noticing what's going on and they're like they're like you see this you got this and they're like surrounding us and finally this one brave woman walks up to me and she goes are you good you okay and i'm like yeah we're good and so then they kind of back off and this man proceeded to weep and snot all over my clothes for probably about the next 25 minutes and just sob, this grown man now, who is old enough to be my father, is just sobbing in my arms uncontrollably in the middle of the Z- Missoula Mall. And he tells me, he goes, I needed to hear that through his sobs. I needed to hear that more than you'll ever know. He goes, my name is David Campos. I'm a backslidden Christian. I'm in a bad place. I used to play music with Maranatha music, which for some of you older people in here, maybe you'll know what that is. But I was their drummer, and I'm, I'm backslidden. I've been backslidden for many, many, many years. And I feel like I was supposed to be here because I needed to hear that to get put back on the path. So it's encounters like those that make it worth it. It's encounters like those where God drops that little gracelet into somebody's life to further the kingdom of God. That I, I never saw that man again. I don't know whatever happened to him. But I just, I just believe that from that moment on, the trajectory of his life was changed. First of all, because I chose not to be worried about my own embarrassment or looking foolishness, but because God wanted to whisper something into that man's life and set him free. All right, we'll look at one more scenario here. We'll talk, about, we'll talk about Peter Peter here briefly, and I'll try and go through this a little more quickly. Um, let's go to Luke 22, 31 through 34, and this is talking about Peter's denial. It says, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied me three times. Now, when I would hear this story as a kid, I always automatically assumed that maybe Peter was, like, weak or something. And that's why he was willing to deny Christ. Or, or that he was double-minded, and maybe that's what this scripture meant. To be sifted like wheat basically meant that the devil wanted to take him and mess up his life. I, again, paraphrasing, but that's kind of what that, it, it, to, to sift wheat means you take the wheat and you get the chaff out of it, and you throw the chaff away. The devil wanted to treat Peter like chaff and destroy him. And so Jesus says, I've prayed for you. Not only that you're kept, but that you'll strengthen your brothers. He's already prophesying about what will take place with Peter later so that Peter can be the man that he needs to be. Peter was not a weakling. The dude bought a sword and brought it to the garden with them and cut off the temple guard's ear. Peter was not a weakling. Peter was a fisherman in, in, in ancient Palestine. That was a hard job. They have these cruddy little boats that could be slammed against the rocks and sink with no problem, working with ropes all day. The dude probably had calluses all over his hands. He was probably muscular and very ripped and probably smelled like the ocean. Peter was not a weakling. But yet Jesus tells him, the rooster will not crow three, three times until you've denied me. What I think is that Peter could not get his head wrapped around the kingdom principle that Jesus was trying to convey and trying to do. And he was so shocked by the way things were turning out that the best he could do in the moment after Jesus had been arrested was say, I have no, I, I don't know the man. I've told you that. Three times. That's what I think. And so Jesus knows this is going to happen and speaks ahead of time so that Peter would not be destroyed by that event, and not only not be destroyed, but that Peter would be restored so that he could not only be saved, but minister to the rest of the disciples in that moment. Let's go to John 21, 7 through 12. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, Jesus had been crucified, raised from the dead. They didn't didn't really know. There's kind of this like lull. They didn't really know what they were supposed to do next, so they went back to their jobs. They're out in the boat doing their thing, fishing, and they see this this guy on the shore calling out to them. And the apostle John says to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, For he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. He couldn't even wait to get the boats back in. He literally jumps in the sea to swim to the shore. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And further down, Jesus and Peter, they go for a walk so that Jesus can minister to Peter after the events that have transpired. And this this is what's said. And When they finished breakfast Jesus said to Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these now remember Peter denied Jesus three times Simon son of John do you love me more than these and he said to him. Yes, Lord You know that I love you and he said to him feed my lambs and he said to him a second time Simon son of John Do you love me and he said to him? Yes, Lord You know that I love you and he said to him tend my sheep and he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, it's so important for Jesus to restore Peter in that moment because I guarantee you that after Peter witnessing everything that had happened, even though, even though Peter knew the love of Christ, he, he had seen Jesus forgive people, he'd seen Jesus heal people, that there was still this burden of shame that Peter was carrying on him up until that moment. And I'm going to tell you something right now. The power of sin over your life carries with it its sister, shame. Amen. And if you don't allow God to forgive you, but then you forgive yourself, that shame will wrap itself around you like a cloak and it will never leave you. Yeah. So not only was Jesus demonstrating that Peter was forgiven, that Jesus loved him, and getting, getting him to say with his own mouth, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Because you see, the crazy thing about the human mind, when we say something out of our mouth, our mind immediately goes into drive to figure out how to make that thing happen that we just said. So that's why you also have to be careful about what you say, because our mind just works like that. So what Jesus is doing here is not only is he is he confronting what had happened with Peter when Peter denied him, but he was also reaffirming the fact that, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Out, getting him to say that out into the air to reset the whole thing that had happened, but also to break, that, to break that cycle off of Peter. I'll try and say this briefly, but I had recently heard this story about this doctor that was... Um, very very tenured like this guy has so many letters after his name i can't even track them all but he was talking about the power of shame and he was talking about it in his own life he was highly intelligent individual very pedigreed um very very good at what he did had a very successful practice so much so that he traveled across the country um, to do what he did and he was talking about the power of shame and he said I had experiences in my life where my marriage almost ended because I would have these, these outbursts of rage and anger randomly towards my wife and kids. He said, I never hit them. I never physically abused them or anything like that. But he said, the smallest things would set me off. He goes, and then I, and then I began to understand strange things that I would do. I, and he told a story about where his, uh, I think it was two or three-year-old son almost died. He was away at his practice. His wife called him to tell him they were in the emergency room. And he said okay, is he all right? And he began to ask his wife medical questions instead of like reassuring her and saying, I'll be on the next flight. I will. No, no, he stayed where he was for like four days until his week was over and then flew back to be with his wife and son. So he's, he's telling this story and he's basically alluding to the fact that I, I had realized that my behavior was weird And it took several events and me hitting rock bottom before I realized that that was strange. I realized that um, the way I'd been acting was triggered by certain things, and I really didn't understand it. So he had a very good friend of his that was a a therapist, and he said, you have all the hallmarks of an an abused person, just so you know. He's like, there's no way. There's no way that's me. Everybody has a hard life. Everybody goes through things. He goes, well, I'm just telling you, whenever you're ready to talk, I'm here. And so this guy, as he would go, go through life and he would continue to have these triggers where he would just explode on his wife, he would explode on random people, he realized it was time to talk with his friend. So his friend began to, to work him through this process of healing and all these kinds of things, and he realized that some of the hard things that he labeled as just life that he had gone through as a child were he was abused. He had bottled those things, buried them deep, and those things were coming out as anger and rage. And furthermore, he understood that he had blamed himself for every one of those bad things that happened to him. They, they were his fault in his mind. And he actually had to walk through the steps of forgiveness for himself to break the power of that shame over his life. Now that's full disclosure. That, that was a, a, a secular story, but it's the same principle of what God does inside of him. When he, when he unwraps... The deception and the lies that we sometimes live in. So, going back to Peter really quickly, and I, I'll I'll wind it down with this: that encounter that Jesus and Peter had on the beach after he had denied Jesus, after he had failed, after he had showed up with a weapon to fight because he thought they were going to go do an insurrection, not to see his teacher and his rabbi get crucified after that encounter that he had had with Jesus on the beach and God had restored him. Peter, the Apostle Peter, you think of the day of Pentecost when Peter stands up in the boldness of the Holy Spirit and begins to speak to the crowd. This isn't the same Peter that we saw before, right? Because the kingdom of heaven had been deposited in his life, so much so that not only was Peter a completely different man up until that point, but, but the, the little thing that Jesus said to him in that same encounter when he said, one day you'll be carried where you don't want to go, was alluding to the fact that Peter would be crucified just like Jesus was. Peter was changed so much, so much so and so incredibly and profoundly changed by the kingdom of God and by the grace that had been given to him for the mission that as Peter's walking towards the cross to encounter a Roman crucifixion, he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord, crucify me upside down. What, what kind of a man goes from denying to saying I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner, I, I, crucify me upside down, unbelievable. That's the transformational grace of God. That's the things that God will deposit inside of you to change your life, the life around you, your family's lives, to further the kingdom of God, to break the curses, to break the deception, to break the walls down of who you've been, who you've been in the past, and to set you on the path of who God wants you to be in his kingdom. And I get it, it's not always easy. I'm, I'm talking to myself here as much as I am anyone else. I still have struggles day to day of mistakes and failures that I've made that God has to continuously walk me through. In the preparation for this talk, as a matter of fact, my wife and I had a conversation about, about something that was shameful. And she, and she basically threw my own words right back at me and said, well, who is good enough then? Who who is good enough to be used by God? Do you think that somehow separates you? No, it doesn't, because the grace of God is free. It's a gift, and it's given to every one of us. So let His power change you. Let Him transform you, and let Him break down those walls. Um, that's what I got for you. Um, if you if you're if you're a prayer partner scheduled for today. Um, Feel free to come forward and and let's pray and minister. Bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow Jesus to transform your soul. We pray that you have an amazing week. Thanks again for being a part of the Encounter Church family. God bless you.